this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, I want you to underline some words, may give you the spirit, underline wisdom, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, underline revelation. Here's the goal of the spirit of Christ, revelation and wisdom, so that you may know him better. We're going to wrestle with verse 17, but this is Paul's first prayer for the people. He gives us two prayers. We're going to wrestle with this first one. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Someone touch yourself real quick. Touch yourself and say, I am am in God's heart. heart. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. I'm in God's heart. You know, I want to show you something. It's kind of funny to me. I mean, I'd be... It'd probably be funny to you as well. But this is me, all right? So this is me in 2006. Here's what's funny, all right? Some of y'all can't even see it, but I used to have braids when I was in high school. And um, yeah, right? And so, and don't judge me, man. I looked good. I made these things. Look. And so this was, we had picture day for football, right? And I was number 77. I played, I was a right tackle in high school. And uh, we had picture day. And I did not know, I completely forgot we had picture day. And so during school, I took my braids down, right? And so I didn't realize that I had these like really geeky glasses. And uh, we had picture day. So I was frustrated. I was upset. Into, uh, that's what Constance's picture. I love putting this up every first day of football season for high school students. Because I'm like, this is, what it go, this is what you go through as a football player. So this was me in high school. Here's the thing. This is me, 2021, our family. We had... Uh, the year before, it was the same day we closed on our first home. It was Cam's shortly, uh, shortly before Cam's fourth birthday. Um, that was us last year. This is me, 2006. 2006, um, I, had, I was running away from the calling of God in my life. I really wanted to go to law school. I did not want to go into ministry because y'all got some cousins in Wisconsin that I didn't feel like pastoring. And, uh, right, so I just, I was like, God, I want to go to law school. I just want to make a lot of money and buy basketball tickets and do all that type of stuff, right? That was my goal. And um, I was trying to run away from that. My prayer life was not the best um, because I was just jumping into this. I was a church baby. I wasn't a God baby. I was a church baby. So I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus very well. And so all that was me in 2006. 2021, I'm married. I'm leading congregation. I am leading in our community. I have my prayers are changed. I'm praying a married prayer. My prayers about my. I'm praying over children. I'm praying over homes. I'm getting into loans. Like all that. Been through college. Been through a lot of different things in my life in 2021. Here's what happened. Very simply between 2006 2021 for me, I grew up. That's all that happened. I just I grew up. Too often when it comes to our faith walk. We're in this season praying like this season. We're in this season worshiping like this season. You're in a season where God is taking you into parenting. Maybe you're transitioning into being a grandparent. You're transitioning into being an empty nester, and you're praying like you're single. You're not the same person here as you were here. And for some reason, we grow in our resources, grow in our financial understanding. We grow in our, we grow in our personal understanding. We buy these self-help books. We buy leadership books. And when it comes to our faith, We're praying the same prayers here, wondering why we're not successful spiritually here. Paul has this conversation with the people of Ephesus, and the same thing, conversation I want to have with you today. He says, here's all I want you to do. I want you to mature. I want you to celebrate that you're maturing. Because here's what I want to tell you, church. There is a miracle in your maturity. The fact that you overcame what you overcame 
the fact that you are thriving in the areas in which you're thriving, the fact that you are understanding the way your body feels, you are growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus, there is a miracle in your maturity. Quit being afraid of being mature. Quit being afraid of being a mature Christian. Quit being afraid of being the person that God's called you to quit be. Quit being afraid of living out God's truth for your life because you're not living out somebody else's lie for your life. There's a miracle in being mature. There's a miracle in your maturity. And too often what happens is that we grow in so many areas, but we're not growing in our faith. And we don't take time to celebrate it because others aren't growing. So you stop your own growth because you want to hang out with people who've made a decision to not grow. Like, I don't get single people telling married folk how to be married. I don't get broke folk telling folk how to save money. I don't get it. I just, it's, it, it's amazing because I'm, there's a miracle in maturity and that God changes your circle to keep you where you are instead of us running away from it. And Paul is telling the church, church, pause 10 years after I visited you. 10 years after we were there, we were in a satanic petri dish. 10 years after we planted the church at Ephesus, I'm hearing about false teachers. I'm hearing about all these things happening in Ephesus. And Paul pauses and say, church, I want to celebrate your maturity and don't stop growing. Paul tells him for this reason in verse 15. He pauses here in verse 15 and says, for this reason, I've heard about your faith. What reason? If you guys remember back in verse 3 of our text from last week, what reason did Paul pause and pray? Paul says, here's the reason I pause and pray. Verse 3 of chapter, chapter 1, praise be to God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus. Paul says, the reason I'm pausing to pray and the reason I want you to celebrate your maturity, remember this, is because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Those of you who remember this from last week in our study, the first, what were our spiritual blessings? I'm chosen. I'm anointed. I'm, I'm predestined. I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I make known the will of God. I have an inheritance from God, and I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and for that reason, keep growing. Because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, God still ain't done with you yet. There's still more where that came from. God is not through with blessing God's people. God is not through with pouring out God's favor. God did not stop talking to you at 30. God did not stop talking to you at 50. God did not stop talking to you when you stopped talking to him. Paul says, and for this reason, keep growing. So look at verse 15. He says here, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all of God's people. Here's what Paul does in verse 15. The first thing Paul does. He says, from his firsthand experience with the people in Ephesus, Paul says, I want to, I'm speaking to the best parts of the people in Ephesus. And he names two things in verse 15. Look what he says here. He says, I'm, I'm rejoicing about your faith and I'm rejoicing about your love. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, and ever since I heard about your love, I'm going to rejoice for you. Faith in Christ for Paul is a faith which was centered on Jesus. It rests through him and the Father recognizing that faith in Christ for Paul was a life that was hidden in God. It's important because it shows us the connection that when I'm hidden in God, it overflows into great love. That my faith in Jesus overflows into my love. So first of all, 
in light of Galatians 5 and 6. First of all, I have faith. That's faith in God. Secondly, I have a love that overflows to God's children. Now, remember this. The utopian picture of the church was to have a church that was free for every person to come in. The people in Ephesus, the reason Paul writes this letter is because that's not what they wanted. They, the people of Ephesus, were so fractured between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, that they wanted a church that was narrow-minded, a bigoted spirit, and prevailed just for them. And Paul writes to them and says, listen, you are interrupting and choosing who God can love. And look what he says here in verse number 15. He says, you guys know how to do two things. You have faith, you know how to love, but you're choosing who God can love. It's amazing to me that when it comes to God's love, we pick and choose who God ought to love. It's amazing to me. We pick and choose whether it's politicking. and We love policing people. We just love telling people how to live the life that God told them to live, not God told you to tell them how to live. Without living our own life, we tell other people how to live their lives. How much time are you going to waste not living into what God has called you to live into because you're so consumed with how somebody else needs to live their life? I ain't scared of none of y'all this morning. We done been at the glory feet. I'm going to press all the way in this. How much time are you going to waste not living your life because you're so consumed with policing somebody else's? It's amazing to me because we find this same word of judgment in the book of Malachi. And around Malachi chapter 2, when we talk about the word judgment and judging other people, here's what judging other people does. Literally, in the book of Malachi, it does this. It is you going to God, kicking God off the throne, putting you on God's throne, thinking that your decisions are better than God's decisions. God is always going to see with grace. I am always going to see through the lens of sin. So whenever I think my opinions are better than God's opinions, I am literally telling someone to lead a path that's going to lead them closer to death while God's goal is always to lead people to life. God sees through the eyes of grace. I see through the eyes of love. And anytime, I'm going to tell you, the scriptures tell us this all the time, and anytime you think you can fight God, let me tell you who's going to win. If God created you, he knows your strengths and he knows every one of your weaknesses. And Paul is saying, this church, you're picking and choosing who God... It's amazing to me that church people love people who ain't in church more than they love people who they go to church with. You ever notice that? Like, we love policing and judging people when they come to church. Child, why are you wearing that? You know, if you're going to come before God, got to bring your best and do all of this and dress like this. At our church, we drive this type of car. Mm-hmm. At our church, this is where I sit. This is where the glory is. This is, I sit here because this, and we, we, for some reason, we love policing and correcting people in church more than we love sharing the gospel to those who are far from God. And Paul tells us here, he says, I, you guys know how to have faith. And you know how to have love, but you are choosing who can receive it. And woe unto us for thinking that certain people can be close to Jesus and certain people can't be close to Jesus. Paul says, and for that reason, I'm praying for you because you have every spiritual blessing and you are wasting your time policing somebody else. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Son of God. 
So then continue to verse number 16. If you don't like me now, you're not going to like me more. Verse 16, look what it says. Verse 16, Paul says this. So I've never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's the good news. Paul was pastoring them. Paul's response to that truth about God's people. Paul says, but I've never stopped praying for you. I've never stopped giving thanks for you. This is what it means. See, here's the interesting thing to me. The the word pastor was not added into scripture until 1963. Um, If we're going to have the conversation, let's have the conversation. The word homosexual was not added into scripture until 1966. It's amazing that we read scripture, we read into it, and we added this because a lot of white pastors added a whole lot of words into scripture to make decisions over other people. 66 and 63 is when a whole lot of oppressive language was added into scripture. And who was seeking for freedom and liberation in America in the same time frame? We added a whole lot of language to suppress a whole lot of black and brown bodies in the building. I'm going to get into it later, but that's why you got to come to Bible study. We do this. So listen, so when these words were added, so if we're going to really grab a hold of this, pastors are shepherds. And the purpose of a shepherd is to be present enough with the sheep that the sheep know the shepherd and the shepherd know the sheep. And Paul says, watch this, no matter how far you have strayed in the pasture, I've never given up on you. And I'm talking to people inside of this building who ought to thank God that no matter how far you have strayed from the good shepherd in your faith walk, God never gave up on you. When you stop praying, he's still listening when you came back. When you stop reading your Bible, he still made sure he kept on talking to you. When you stopped engaging in God's truth, when you didn't show love at work, when you didn't show love to coworkers, when you didn't show love to others, God's love did not stop pouring out to you. Paul says, and when you didn't, when you were not faithful fully to the word, Paul says, I never gave up on you. Thanks be to God that in the midst of where our faith has not been consistent and intentional and faithful, the pastor of the great church says, and I didn't stop forgetting about you. So that leads to verse 17. Paul says, faith, love. So now I want you to know God better. Now I want you to grow in grace. And look what Paul says in verse number 17. He shows us something powerful. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's what I want to show you, church. When you said yes to God, you gave your life over to Christ. Love and faith are like the low-hanging fruit. Love and faith. Have faith and trust in God and love Jesus. Here's where the depths of it all. I'm going to dive more into this. But Paul is saying, I want you to move beyond love and faith into realms of wisdom and revelation. This is growth, and the devil hates this stuff because it's easy for us to sit right here. A lot of seeker churches, seeker-friendly churches, are building churches around the country, building churches around the world, about churches that are all built on love everybody. Oh, my God. Like, we just love you, and, like, I'm wearing my flip-flops because, like, you are just so amazing, and, like, God loves everything about you, but not to grow you. I just want you to come into church, and the back door is wide open. Come in, cry, add to our numbers, get a T-shirt, and leave out the back door. Here's where growth comes in. Love and faith moves to wisdom and revelation. This is the sticky part. Somebody asked me, like, how are we going to get people in the church? How are we going to grow the church? When we are people of wisdom and revelation. 
if we trust God in love and faith, it's not just Pastor Justin's preaching and not just the choir singing. It's all of us trusting God beyond love and faith to wisdom and revelation. I love you in, and I want you to grow in grace in Jesus. I, have, I want you to understand faith, and I want you to trust the Spirit's movement. Too much money is left on the table because we are so consumed with this that we have not trusted God to give us discernment in our businesses, to parent by the Spirit, to teach by the Spirit, to lead by the Spirit, to be elected by the Spirit, to have politics by the Spirit. I know, please don't tune me out, but I'm going to tell you this, there's still power in the Holy Ghost. That is, we start with love and faith, but as Christians trusting the Lord Jesus, we move into wisdom and revelation, and this is what makes the church dangerous. This is what every nonprofit is doing. This is what nonprofits don't have. Jesus, I wish I had a witness up in this Anglican church. It's one thing for us to love and have faith. The depth of it all, which keeps the church, and this is why Jesus said, upon this rock, my God, I'm going to build my church, and nothing, the gates of hell, can't stop it, not because lovey-dovey faith, but because we have wisdom and revelation. Paul says, I want you to know him better. I want you to grow beyond this into this. Don't lose this, but grow in wisdom and revelation. And so Paul writes to Ephesus. It's his first of two prayers, the first prayer. And it's amazing because notice, Paul is not talking about church growth in this text. Paul is literally talking about their personal walk with God. I want you, church members of the church, people who trust Jesus, to trust that you can receive the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. So what does Paul do? Look at the foundation of this text. Paul says, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's what's different, and I want you to see this. The difference in this, this is the third time he's addressed Jesus like this in Ephesians, but he adds this hitch in the text, which is so powerful, the glorious father. Here's why this is important. Paul says it's one thing for us to talk about God the Father. We saw that in chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. But then he adds the glorious Father. The word glory in Old Testament literature means to reflect the very essence of God's character. Because God is sovereign, God's glory is overwhelming. So the people in the Old Testament, when they built the temple, this is Solomon's complex. When they built the temple in the Old Testament, I want you to understand this. So back here in the temple, then on your screen, back here in the temple where you see the cherubim and seraphim is the holies of holies. What they would do is they would tie a string to the priest, and, the, and if the priest if the priest was no longer moving and they had to move, ring the bell, they knew that the priest did not consecrate themselves before they went into the temple and they died in the temple. Because the glory of God with ter- would with, uh, with Dirty hearts will lead to death. Without consecrating yourself for the glory, we get upset with the glory of God. Without consecrating ourselves, too much glory of God without a repentant heart can lead to death. That's what the power of the glory of God was. And so here's what they did. Remember, there was the outer courts, there was the inner courts, and then there was the holies of holies. This is where they would sacrifice. So we talk about sacrificial lambs and giving and generosity. So when we talk about generosity, this is the area they would bring their first fruits. They were so excited that we could sacrifice unto God. So now they come into the temple, and there's these two pillars. These two pillars, you can see 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. I'm not making it up. These two pillars were hanging there, and Hiram named these pillars. One was named Joaquin, and one was named Boaz. Boaz, God is my strength. Joaquin, God is everlasting. The reason they put these pillars there was because they were trying to figure out a way how to hold up the glory of God. 
Don't miss this. They were trying to hold the weight of God's glory. Because when glory showed up, they didn't know why God would give them all of this glory. And so they were trying to figure out a way to hold up the glory of God. Because when the glory shows up, you can't comprehend it. You just know it's there. And so they named these columns because the only way they felt that God would give them all of this glory is if they named columns of strength and establishing. So what what Paul writes here in the book of Ephesians is, so that was the old covenant. So we come to the new covenant. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn. The temple is destroyed because Jesus took away the need for the priest to go into the holies of holies, that all of us have access to the holies of holies. And so what God is trying to show us here, Paul says, I want the glorious father, because watch this, God is trusting the weight of glory that would kill priests to rest on those who trust in God. That if you trust in God, God will give you the weight of glory that won't kill you like it killed Old Testament prophets, but it'll give you life. And Paul says, I want to find people who want the glory of God so bad because God trusts you to hold the weight of glory. And I don't know who I'm talking to in this building, but I'm talking to people who've had the weight of burdens and the weight of negativity and the weight of your pain. And you can say, God, I want to trade my sorrows for the weight of glory. I'd rather walk with glory than walk with my burdens because if I'm strong enough to talk about myself, I'm strong enough to talk about God. If I'm strong enough to carry that trauma, I'm strong enough to carry the glory. I want the glory of God because God is trusting you with the weight of glory. And from that glory comes two things. Now, here's the text. It's so powerful. Two things come from this. It comes through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit for them is not new. Remember, we talked about this last week in verse 12, that, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I want you to go beyond the depth of faith and love. I want you to know the deep things concerning every matter of your salvation and what was missing from the church and what was missing from their personal lives was wisdom and revelation. Here's what happens with wisdom and revelation. I promise you, I've been praying over this. My God, this thing is powerful. God, when he prophetically ministers over any one of us, is speaking to the person that God created. He is speaking to our sinless nature. So when words of wisdom and revelation go forth, God is speaking to us if we did not have sin. And the purpose of consecration and repentance is to continue to turn away from sin, to live into the existence of God knowing that we can be creatures without guilt, shame, and without that sin. And that's the church that God's going to come back for, a church without a spot or wrinkle. I promise you I'm in this Bible. The desire that God has and the desire for his church is to reflect heaven where sin is not. So growing up, church, and reading scripture is not a matter of proving your value to Jesus. You're valuable in his eyes. He loved you so much that he died for you. So if you want to know if you're valuable to God, you're extremely valuable to God. He took on every piece of sin you ever did or didn't commit yet and said, put it on the cross. You're valuable to God. So you cannot prove your value to him. 
It's a matter of discerning to Jesus. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And he cried like drops of blood. I wondered, what did Jesus see in the garden? And I truly believe that Jesus peered into the future and saw every single one of us and saw the sin that would so easily beset us and distract us and said, God, give me all of that sin. I'll take it on the cross. So watch this. They won't have to suffer from the pain of sin in their lives. And so Jesus is daily challenging us, turn away from sin. Because I already died for that very thing. And prophecy and wisdom and revelation is talking to that person that has turned from it because Jesus said, I died for it already. So growing up with God's children, church, is talking to people and talking to yourself the way that God sees you. And that is God sees me at my very best. God sees you thriving. He sees your family thriving. He sees success in your life. He sees healing in your body. He sees miracles all around you. And Paul says you have love, you have faith, but now I want you to see the world the way that God sees it. I want you to see yourself the way that God sees you. I want you to be overwhelmed with wisdom and favor. The place where we begin to make heaven known on earth is when we are guided by wisdom and revelation. It's one thing to love and have faith. That's good, that's awesome, that's great. Accessing the Father's heart with wisdom and understanding to think the way that God thinks, to see people through the bloodstained eyes of Jesus, to speak heavenly languages. And here's how I know we can do it. First John 5 puts it like this. In sin, we see darkness. But in salvation, we get revelation. I Please don't tune me out this morning. What Paul is praying is what I pray for us to have today. I want us to love. I want us to have faith. But I really want us to be consumed with wisdom and revelation. And I want to tell you this. Do not denominationalize the word of God. I'm going to just walk in it since I'm already in it. Revelation and shouting and prophecy is not a denomination. God didn't start the Baptist church be like, yep, taking the spirit for them. He started this space, and we still have the power of the Holy Ghost. And so vision and activity and opportunity ought to come from a place of wisdom and revelation, not opinion and comparison. I don't care what the church down the street is doing. I care what God's people in friendship need. And wisdom is the antidote to opinion. So we need the power of God. Woe unto us who have forgotten the power of the Holy Ghost. I said, woe unto us who have forgotten that when you were baptized into God's eyes, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit who allows you to have access to the Father's heart with wisdom and revelation. And that in the places where I'm empty, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and not my ego. Quit being afraid that you've matured. So how do we do this? So Paul gives us two things. He said, one... I need you to have wisdom and revelation. So what is wisdom and revelation? Here's wisdom. Number one, wisdom. Wisdom is the greater measure of faith to know and to trust the things of God. Wisdom is the greater, remember I told you before, love and faith. Wisdom is the greater measure of faith, the proportion, to know and then trust 
the things of God. It's divine knowledge. Grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see I'm not making it up. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In this series, if you have a paper Bible, I really encourage you to bring it. Um, if you have your phone, I really encourage you to have that as well, to highlight these things so you also put a note there so you can always reference it. I want you to see this stuff is not Justin's opinion. I want to show you what God has already said. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 13. This is the word of God, not Justin's thoughts about it. This is the word of God. Look at what it says. Wisdom is a greater measure of faith to know and to trust the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 13. Look at the word of the Lord. This is what we speak, not by words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spirit rea spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. I'm going to read this again. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. But the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That's you too. You're in that lane too. We have the mind of Christ. What Paul is communicating to all of us, church, is that when we have the Spirit, we know what is working for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world and what is against the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world, and we're able to discern and call it, correct it, and encourage people to turn back to God because we see through the eyes of the Spirit and know what is for Jesus and what is against Jesus. Wisdom is the ability to see what God sees and respond how God desires us to respond. In layman's terms, this is becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now, I want to be clear. Wisdom is not an age thing. Like, I've heard this, like, for some reason, if you turn 40, you become wise. Or if you turn 60, you become wise. I know some old fools, and I know some young, brilliant people. Wisdom is not an age thing. Wisdom is a greater measure of faith to know and trust the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know his word, and do you trust his word? And are you willing to practice his word? And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. Then Paul says, not only is that wisdom, then secondly he says, I, want to, I pray that you are sealed with revelation. Revelation means this, disclosing something that was previously hidden. Disclosing something that previously has been hidden. Get your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy 29 and 29. I want you to see this. Go to Deuteronomy 29 and 29. Disclosing something that's previously hidden. You know, when we speak of revelation, we speak of when God reveals something. I say this all the time, God reveals to heal. He reveals to heal. He reveals, God reveals something that we might heal from it, turn away from it, and walk in healing. Don't let somebody else desire you to be better more than you desire for yourself to be better. Revelation is revealing to heal. So what is revelation? How do we see this? Look at Deuteronomy 29 and 29. It says these words. The secret things belong to God, but the, reveals, the, the things revealed belong to us. Somebody say us. And to our children forever, that we may follow the words of his law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Somebody else say us. us. And to our children forever, that we may follow the words of his law. Here's what I want you to understand. As a human, secret things belong to the Lord. When I trust in God, those things are revealed to us. As a human, secret things belong to God. But trusting in God 
And when God trusts you to reveal his word, those things begin to be revealed. Revelation is trusting in God to have the will of God that we already saw back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 that God trusts us to make known the will of God. And so as a human, the secret things are hidden. But when I trust in God, the secret things are revealed. So if you want to know how to break generational curses, trust in the Lord. If you want to know how to break things in your family, trust in the Lord. If you want to know how to break things in your body, trust in the Lord. Because the secret things belong to him, but my trust in him reveals it to all of us. Don't believe me. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Look at what Jesus says to Satan. Matthew chapter 4. After Jesus is baptized. Jesus goes into the wilderness for some 40 days. And I love how he dressed this text up because it's written in like four verses. He didn't eat in the wilderness for 40 days. Like nothing. Like no, nothing. He had nothing. So imagine how tired and weak he is. And his response when the devil says eat is this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. <sighs> I want you to see this. Man is not going to live by bread, but every word proceed, the proceed is an active verb, proceedeth. Here's what I want to show you. God is always talking. <sighs> Hallelujah. God is always talking. And he's, words are coming out of the mouth of God. Because what God does is he paints a picture of the future. And he, because your future is a memory to God. Your future is predetermined. We learned that back in last week. And so because I've been adopted and predestined, I am just trusting God to get to what's already complete. So why are you stressed over something that God's already handled? Because I'm not living by bread. I'm not living by a job. I'm not living by some dollars. I'm not living by capitalism. I'm living by what proceeded out of the word of God. That God doesn't need proofreading on his story. That every story that God has written has written in the joy of the Lord. So whenever I live in doubt, I'm against the will of God. Whenever I live in fear and worry, I'm against the will of God. Whenever I'm going around confused, I'm against the will of God because God is always talking. But sometimes we don't like what comes out of God's mouth. God is speaking to you. Your future is a memory. So why are you stressed over what's already complete? He that's begun a good work will complete it in the end. All things will continue to work together, not for your bad, but for your good. That God already has it worked out because your future is a memory to God. So whenever you live in doubt, whenever you live in fear, whenever you live in worry, you have surrendered your spirit to Satan. I know we don't like it, but I'm going to say it in this building. There is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a devil. And whenever I am more concerned about doubt, fear, worry, confusion, arrogance, anger, animosity, and pride, I have surrendered myself to a place that will not give me the, spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. But when I surrender to Jesus... Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. I ain't got to go too far. When I surrendered myself to Jesus and I've been planted with the Holy Spirit, I give myself access to the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. I give myself access to the fruits of the Spirit that God will work in me to produce fruit out of me. 
Glory to the Son of God. So how, what do we do with all of this? It's one thing for me to get up here and talk in the spirit and know the Lord and all of this. So what's next? I want to be very practical as we talk about wisdom and revelation. I want to be very practical in terms of how then, what then shall we do? So I want to give you two things, how to study scripture and how to hear the voice of God. First of all, how to study scripture. So if I'm talking about growing in wisdom, first of all, I want to give us some principles, some practices, some best practices on studying scripture. And I'm going to say this for all of you in the building and say, I already got it together. I'm perfect at this. Then great. Then use it for somebody else that you'll run into. And I, I pray over every person in the building who thinks that they are too good to learn anything new because I'm 33. I'm just saying it as clear as day. I hope that God puts an unsaved person in your midst that's going to ask you how to study scripture. It is so and not otherwise. I pray for open hearts to receive the word of God. I know I'm 33, but I know the Lord too. And so here's what I want to give you. I'm just coming against that spirit. I just see it in the spirit. I'm coming against that spirit that says because of age that somebody can't teach the gospel. I want to show us how to study scripture because my goal is to build the kingdom, not Justin's ego. It is so and not otherwise. I want to give you four principles on how to study scripture. First of all, I want you to find yourself first when you study the word of God. As you go to your Bible, bring all of yourself. You don't have to dress yourself up to go to Jesus. Be honest. He, if, if he numbered every hair on your head, you really think you can hide from him something that you said? Bring all of yourself to God. Find how are you? Because here's what happens whenever you study scripture. You sit down. I, I love when I'm, I wrote a book a while ago. Michelle and I were joking about this earlier. Like, tell me about your books. I wrote a, tell me about your books. And I was like, I don't, don't do that. But I wrote a book a while ago. And I remember the first time I had a book signing. And uh, somebody came up and they started asking me about my book. And it was great because I sat down and could explain to them stories that I talked about. But I didn't, like, go deeper into my work. And because whenever you sit down across from the author, you get more of the story. Whenever you open your Bible, you are sitting across from the author who can explain, my God, the story. So bring all of yourself to the author. Number two, I want you to study books at a time. I've said this before, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. It, I want you to study this, and here's what I want to give you today. Um, study books of scripture. Start with the book of Mark. I want to be very clear. The reason I want you to start with the book of Mark, the book of Mark, his favorite word is immediately or suddenly. It's always, it's just Jesus said this and immediately went here. Jesus said this and suddenly did this. Suddenly this happened. And the reason I want you to study it, Mark wrote the scriptures to unveil the messianic secret some 10, 15 years after the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. While everybody was getting killed, Mark said somebody has to write the story of Jesus. And that was the gospel of Mark. And every one of the four synoptic gospels used the book of Mark as an outline to write their gospel. So I want you to start with the book of Mark so you know the story of Jesus. A lot of times we run to the Old Testament and we learn like all these laws and like don't wear tattoos and everybody going to hell. I want you to not worry about the Old Covenant because we're living in the New Covenant. I want you to study the New Covenant. And so if you have, because what happens is... Um, we, we study scripture to like prove something to friends. I don't know about y'all, but like study scripture to prove something and study scripture to, so here's what I want you to understand. I want us to be great Christians. That means we have to know the story of Jesus. If somebody wants to check your faith, let me tell you this. My job is the resident theologian. So if your coworkers want to check you, have them call me. I love that. That's my job. Everybody point at me. Just really, everybody point at me. Somebody point at me and say, do your job. 
so let me do my job, all right? So if you have a situation that arises, that's where my job comes in. I want us to grow in grace. Start with Mark and then pair that. Here's this, G-E-P-C. It's the middle of Paul's letters in the New Testament. G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. They're the four of Paul's shortest letters outside of Titus, four of Paul's shortest letters. And here's what I want you to grab, when it, um, and Philemon, when you grab with those letters is it shows you how to practice what Jesus taught them. So after you read Mark, read Galatians. Then go read Matthew or Luke or John. And then read Ephesians. And then go read another gospel. And then read Philippians. Then go read another gospel. And then read Colossians. And what do you do after you finish? Start over. Just keep reading the story of Jesus. Know the story of Jesus so well. And that in this body of Christ, we can study some things in the Old Covenant. Now, if you read something in the Old Testament, Proverbs are wisdom. Psalms are worship. But all the major prophets and minor prophets and old law and all the things we see about tattoos and marriage and polygamy, all this type of stuff, I'm here as the resident theologian to give clarity to all of that. That's why I went to school for it. I want to do that stuff. You, I want to build the body of Christ. Know Jesus so well because as Christians, you are little Christ. So look like your daddy. Like, be little Christ. Know the story of Jesus. Know how to practice the story of Jesus. Let's be people of wisdom revelation. And when it's time, we can then see what the old covenant was, what they built it upon. And then here's my last challenge about studying books at a time. Read a book of scripture without reading the commentary at the same time. The reason I'm telling you that is I want you to let God talk to you, not somebody else's opinion about the text talk to you. After you study it, after you read it, after you're comprehending it, after you have some questions about it, then consult a commentary or just come to me. Let me do my job. I want to get emails about this stuff and not emails like, I don't like your T-shirt. That's great. Or like text messages, I don't like the way your sermon was too long. That's cool, whatever. But email me about like, hey, can we have a conversation about Leviticus? I would love to. Please, let's have the conversations. That's my job. Like, let me do my job. I want us to grow in grace. Read the Gospels. Know the Gospels. Grow in grace and read it so that God can minister to you. Thirdly, keep a space in your journal for what sidetracks you. What I say about this is life inevitably is going to come in your mind as you read Scripture. Give yourself some grace as you read your scriptures. And here's what I've learned happens. Because a lot of times we start reading our Bible, we center down, and you start thinking about your to-do list. Somebody got a call. Somebody got to follow up with. The task at work you got to finish. Here's what I want you to see here. Maybe the word that you're studying that day is God telling you exactly how to handle the things that come to your mind. When we talk about discerning the spirit and wisdom and revelation, God has a very interesting way of using his word to give us the clarity for decisions we have to make. So maybe the person that comes up while you're reading scripture is the person you need to call and talk to. Maybe the person that comes up while you're reading scripture is not because God is angering you, but God is trying to heal the space in your life. Give yourself some grace as you study the word of God. And lastly and finally, ask yourself a few questions as you read scripture. Things like, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, what can I add to my prayer life because of this scripture? And how can I encourage somebody else? Or who can I encourage when I'm finished reading this scripture? That's ways I want to suggest how to study scripture. Lastly, and I'm done, how to hear the voice of God. Now, this is one of the biggest questions I get so often about, you know, hearing the voice of God. What does God's voice sound like? All of that. Everybody repeat after me. Just say, I can hear God's voice. I'm going to say it again. Somebody say, I can 
Hear God's voice. God's voice often comes as your best form of conscience. It could be the tr- voice of a trusted loved one. It could be your pastor's voice, your therapist's voice, through other people. It can sound like Mufasa. It can also sound like Simba. I mean, it can sound like anything. God is not beholden to one sort of voice. But here's what I will say about the voice of God leading us. When my son was born and um, we were in, like, in a room full of babies, I, when my son cried. I knew where my son was. I don't care how loud anybody else was. I could tell you exactly where my son was. Why? Because I've heard him cry so many times. So when he cries in a room full of other people, I can tell you exactly where my son was because I know my son's voice. When God begins to minister to you, the more you stay in tune with the voice of God and trust the voice of God, and you begin to practice the voice of God, the more you'll know exactly when it's speaking and when God is not speaking. Everybody go to John chapter 10. I want you to see this in John chapter 10. John 10. You can hear the voice of God. The voice of God is not just a pastor's gift. It's not just some deacon gift, not just some reverend gift. God didn't wait until people got R.E.B. in front of their name. was like, I'm going to give you the voice. Everybody, even children. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven looks like, bring some children to me. Right? So go to John chapter 10, verse number 3, and it says these words. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. Watch this. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The sheep follow Jesus because they know the shepherd's voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It sounds different to everyone, but you can hear the voice of God. So however it sounds, practice makes perfect. Allow the word of God to minister to you. So how do you know when God is speaking? Let me, let me give you this. The way you know a false prophet, like if somebody's prophesying, right, the way you know a false prophet is a couple of things. Number one, if they're, number the first thing they want you to do is pay for the prophecy. Number right there, that's false. I'm going to tell you right now, because God's word is free given to all of God's people. And if somebody is charging you $1,000 to hear from God, they're trying to pad their jet, and they're not trying to make sure you live into God's truth. The second way you know if it's a false prophet is if the word of God is never given to solidify the prophecy of the Lord Jesus. If somebody lays their hands on you and it never leads back to scripture, it's false prophecy. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are so many false prophets walking this land, prophesying on Instagram, prophesying on Facebook, trying to build churches around the prophesy, and then it falls apart because of sin, because God will take the cover, God will fire you and let you keep on working. And so when you know the word of God, it allows you to understand and discern. I've seen prophets get up, I had a friend of mine once, that somebody came and laid hands on them, and they began to say, God's going to do this, God's going to do this, and man, you are so off, and began to tell them the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. you know the word of God. And I want to equip us, church, so that if a false prophet does try to walk in this space, if a false prophet does try to come into your life, you're able to reject it by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Here's the second principle. You've got to know the word of God. Any word of wisdom or revelation is always going to take you back to the word of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It says these words. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? The same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. I want you to see this, that what revelation does, knowing the word of God, gives us access to the deep things of God. When we trust God and his spirit, we get access to the secret and the deep things, the deepest parts of the Father. Knowing the word of God takes you into the places where God is honest with God's self. And I'd rather be there than anywhere else. And lastly and finally, to know the word of God, who are you called to? Who is your audience? Who are the people that God has called you to share the word of God to? God's going to give you word for the people that God has called Jesus, whether it's women, whether it's children, whether it's men, whether it's your family. Some of us, the first place of ministry, church, is always at home. You're never going to be effective up here on stage if you're not effective in the intimate places of your home. Your audience first starts at home. That's why I can't stand pastors who've got six families and want to act like they can get up and prophesy over to a church. Your audience starts at home. And I said six families. And then goes Unto your community. Look at Psalm 37. Go to Psalm 37. I'm just calling out this dysfunction in the like universal church. Last, let me tell you this. I'm gonna just, and now I'm just stepping into it. Last night the Lord took me. I was up. My wife will tell you I was up to about six o'clock this morning, and then we woke up and got in the in the car at six. I was up, and the Lord took me to Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 27. The Lord said to me, and I was reading through this, and I was reading through should these bare bones live, and then the second part of Ezekiel chapter 37 that God was establishing a covenant between two tribes of two tribes of Israel. He was bringing them together because He was trying to build the kingdom because there were some people in those tribes that trusted the word of God. And the Lord said to me very clearly, he said, Justin, I was wondering, I'm like, God, what are you calling me to do in this season? What am I to do? We see things happening in our church, see things happening in our community. God, what am I called to do? Am I just going to be here to preach some sermons on Sunday and then go home and go to sleep and eat some chicken? Like, God, what am I called to do? And my wife will tell you, I was on my face. I was crying. She kept coming in and out of the living room. Like, are you okay? What's wrong with you? Because I was just tearing. And finally, around three o'clock in the morning, the Lord said, Justin, I'm using you to reestablish my covenant in California because there are too many false leaders and false prophets. And so I'm calling out, there's about 12 of you in this building who've come to this church. You didn't stand for the visitation time because you thought we're going to put you on front street, but you came here wondering, does the word of God go forth? Because you've tried and trusted pastors. I'm telling you as the word of the Lord Jesus up all night long, that the only thing we have here is the word of God. And because we have the word of God, God God is going to reestablish his covenant in an influential space like this region. And God is selecting people and sending them to California. That's why there's so many vacant churches. It's because God is raising a standard and is going to use the change in this country to start in California. So I'm not up here trying to prove to you that I know something. I'm telling you what I've given up my life for to tell somebody about who the Lord Jesus is. Because I'm saying this as well to confirm and reawaken some of you that you've had pastoral trauma. You can't stand pastors. You can't stand churches. You can't stand leaders. I'm talking to 18 of y'all that stopped praying at the age of 19. I'm talking to 12 of you that gave up the moment you got your title. But I came today to reawaken the gift of God inside of you that God is using you to reestablish covenant in this world. He's using you to reestablish his word. That's why this sermon you've taken so 
so many notes and don't know why you're taking notes. He's reestablishing himself. That's why you've been crying during the praise break. He's reestablishing himself. And that which the Lord has built on firm foundations will not be torn apart. I have another point to get to, but I wish I had some Ezekiels in this building that can partner with this Ezekiel and say, God, if you're going to use anybody to establish yourself in this community, use my pew, use my money, use my connections, use my voice, use my gifting, use my anointing, use my clothing, use my phone, because I want to be where God is. So you hear the voice of God by obedience to the voice of God, by being what God called you to be in the places he's called you. So love yourself well, love others well, and love God well. Because you can't share God's love if you ain't practicing God's love. Ah, and I want to reawaken some of you to loving yourself again. God, I'm going to end it right here. I said, I want you to re-engage re in loving yourself again. Ah, I'm tired. I know your hair is gray and you really wish your hair was black again. But God says, I want you to love the season you're in. I know your body doesn't move how it used to move. But I want you to love yourself again because your grandchildren are looking at you to see how to love themselves. And all they see is you complaining about your knees. And I wish I had some senior citizens that could help me close this sermon and say, this season is my best season. I'm going to look better than I've ever looked before. I'm going to pray harder than I've ever prayed before. I'm going to sing harder than I've ever sung before. I'm going to read harder than I've ever read before. Because God ain't done with me yet. And when my hair is gray, I am showing the faithfulness of God. I've got a crown on my body because God is smiling on me. And I've learned to love myself. Paul praised this because he knows they can do it. God, Paul tells them this because he knows they're capable of doing it. That God doesn't tell them to do something that he hasn't equipped them to do. That he tells them, I want you to have love. I want you to have faith. But I want you to put your trust in the voice of God, in the revelation of God, in the wisdom of God. Because then together, we can build the kingdom together. We can build the church together. We can build the community together. We can do the work of God. And here's why I shout. God says, I know every single thing about you, but I want to use you. God is making us get an awareness of who we are. We are woke in so many areas. But, oh, God says, but I'm waking you back up to yourself. God, I'm, I'm waking you up to the spirit of God in you. I'm waking you up to the authority of God on your life. That wasn't just somebody pushing you. That was the Holy Ghost. That wasn't just somebody reminding you. That was the Holy Spirit. The reason the job still has you, the Holy Ghost. The reason you're still standing, the Holy Ghost. The reason you're still moving, the Holy Ghost. The reason your church is alive, the Holy Ghost. The reason your gift is here, the Holy Ghost. And, bruh. 
I know you go to the gym, but you got the Holy Ghost at the gym. Sis, I know you go to the nail salon, but you got the Holy Ghost at the nail salon. And the reason you got what you got is the Holy Ghost. The reason you're moving how you're moving is the Holy Ghost. And I know this ain't something we're supposed to preach about. We're supposed to talk about a bunch of funny stuff. But I wish I had somebody up in friendship this morning that can say I'm saved with the Holy Ghost. I've been fire baptized with the Holy Ghost. I've been water baptized, sealed by the Holy Ghost. And the reason I'm strong today is can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Is there anybody in this building that can say I'm old, but I got the Holy Ghost. I'm young, but I got the Holy Ghost. And it's Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you because I got the Holy Ghost. I wish I had somebody that can help me close this sermon and lay hands on yourself and come alive again. Come alive in my job. Come alive in my home. Come alive in my money. Come alive in my revelation. Come alive in my spirit. Come alive in my finances. That I'm not dead. My story's not over. My marriage ain't over. My child ain't dead. My job ain't dead. So I speak life over your marriage. I speak life over your job. I speak life over your ministry, over your children, over your grandchildren, over your money, over your honey, over your relationship, over your divorce. I speak life over your future that it is that God ain't done with you that he that's begun a good work in you he will complete it after many days is there anybody here that can help me close this sermon stand on your feet and begin to give God praise that now 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 under him is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power of God I wish I had somebody that now under him who is able to present you faultless with exceeding joy to the only wise God the creator of the ends of the earth be all glory and dominion and power now and forever somebody toss your head back open up your mouth find your holy ghost praise lift your holy ghost hands and give god a holy praise say yes say yeah i am anointed i am anointed I am anointed. I leap over troops. I jump over walls. Because I'm anointed. Say yeah. I dare you to parent by the Spirit. Teach in the Spirit. I'm opening this altar up for people. I... 
I don't need any, no, no deacons or preachers, no deacons or preachers right now. I just open this altar, hear this. I want to pray over you today, hear this. You're saying, God, listen, I just, I want my oil back. I want my, hallelujah.